Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week two of the annual Weekly Mana podcast. It's me, Brock. (laughs) It's Austin here. And we are back for another rendition of Jesus Talk. Oh, I hope you guys are ready for some awesome talks. We've uh, prepared a little bit of something for you, hopefully strike up some discussion and help you get into the word a little bit. Uh, But first to start, Brock has got a quote Oh, we're going to do it first? Okay. Yeah, let's that's go ahead cool. and start with it. Yeah. Okay, so we got a quote here. We were going to do Bible verses, I know we said, but we decided on a quote this week to kind of talk about, and Austin's got a verse kind of to go with it. <clears throat> but So the quote is from C.S. Lewis. Uh, you guys will find out. I think I mentioned him last week even. C.S. Lewis is my guy. I love everything he does, everything he writes. And so I found this quote, and it says, We were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they who mourn, and I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others. So, my first thought was came from a scripture, and that was James. And in that, basically, he says, when troubles come, mm-hmm. That you will be ready, it will prepare you for great joy. Basically, take it as great joy. Because these, I think in Deuteronomy... It's a strengthening of your faith, yeah, is in, what it says. In Deuteronomy, it, um, it, that's what it talks about as well. It strengthens your faith. So, these trials, you know, if you're having a hard time right now, if you've ever had a hard time, or if you're in a time of peace in it, you might be coming into a time of turmoil. Take that with joy. Because it prepares you, it, it strengthens you, and you know, it's it's. What is it? Somebody once told me, "Be careful what you pray for." You know, if you pray for wisdom, God will give you wisdom. If you pray for strength, God will give you strength. But it might not always be in the ways that you want. Yeah, you'll get that strength and that wisdom by trials and testing that's going to come. You know, and yeah. it's going to. It's going to, it's going to create wisdom and create strength, not necessarily just oh, all of a sudden you've got it. Yeah, like it, it's going to be created. Like they say, don't pray for patience because uh, you'll have lots of stuff to test your patience. See, my mom must have <laughs> prayed for patience a lot because she got a lot of kids, <laughs> lots of them. That must have been what it was. <laughs> but uh, I think I don't know this quote to me. It just I'm so if you look back through history, there's always reasons to be suffering, reasons to be hurting, reasons to, you know, reasons for trials to come your way, whatever. But I don't know, maybe it's just like the area we live in and, you know, our home community, which we've had many, many discussions about that. It just feels like suffering is almost at an all time high in those places. And, you know, so this quote to me is like, we were promised suffering. Like we knew these things were going to come. It just feels like it's at a higher time. And so to all these people out here who are witnessing these sufferings and then the with the rise of social media they they get to air that suffering to everybody and then so everything just seems down mm-hmm. but then in James it says consider it pure joy like and i don't see a lot of that and it's a hard thing to do cuz like he says here of course it is different when the things happens to oneself it's easy to tell somebody else hey consider it a joy you're suffering god's preparing you Mm-hmm. But like when it actually occurs to us, there's nothing 
joyful about that. It's it's a lot easier to be joyous in a situation you're not a part of. 100%, yes. So. It's so hard to just put on a brave face. I mean, I've had times this week even where I've literally prayed and thought, you know, God, I need your strength. I need your grace. I need your peace. I need your wisdom. I, I just, I need to be happy because I'm not. Like even when it comes when it comes to like making sure I'm in the word, making sure I'm praying. Like I've, I've had conversations with God where I'm like, just, I want to do this, but I don't feel like I can. And it, it just was a sadness over me all week or yeah. not all week, but for the majority of the week. And so, you know, that could be kind of like this is, and you just, you just gotta, you just got yeah. to trust. And when you search out God, he will meet you. Mm-hmm. Even when you don't feel like it, and something will happen that will change it all. Well, that's the big thing about faith. You've got to, you know, um, what is it? The teacher's quietest during the test. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you feel those times and those turmoil when you feel like, man, God, where are you? But the teacher's quietest during the test. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a test of your faith, you know. Can, will you lean to God when your times get hard, or will you find something else to lean on? Yeah, man. That's a good, I like that quote a lot. So, I'm a, I've been I've had a really long test. It feels like <laughs> sometimes those tests last a few uh, hours. I, I wish it was hours. It's like <laughs> weeks and months sometimes. But yeah, that's that's our quote for the day, you guys. Um, if you've got you know scripture that can go with it too, like he said, he knew of one in Deuteronomy. My James chapter one verse two and three is the quote or is the scripture that I always go to for that, and that's that's my favorite my favorite scripture in the Bible. I love it. Um, it's really hard to live it, but and that's why I love it so much is because it gives me something to aim toward and to be better at because I so know that I'm not. You. Yes, if you're if you're not being challenged in your faith, then you're not doing something right. That's yeah. I mean, comfort zone. You won't grow in your comfort zone. That's for sure. So, All right. anyway, we got week one of our Hidden Heroes series starting today. And as you guys know, we mentioned it last week, we're going to start with The Thief on the Cross. Um, and I'll let Austin kind of take it from here. This is going to be kind of his his baby. He did, he did more in-depth research than I did. I'll just kick in when necessary. <laughs> well, okay, so... I'm first going to give you guys kind of a background, but the majority of what we take is going to be out of Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. But the reason I kind of did a background check on this is because when I looked up the thief on the cross and was really searching into it, the only verse I could find was out of Luke. And so I was really wondering why that is. Did the other Gospels not really mention it? I never noticed that before. But when I went back and looked through it, Matthew and Mark never have a recollection of the thief repenting to Jesus. It's only mocking Jesus on the cross. And then John just kind of glosses over and says, and there were thieves on the cross crucified with him. And so I kind of researched that, and I came across two theories of why this is. And so one was that, were there five, actually five thieves on the cross? And you're going to say, what? That's not what I was taught in Bible school. But let me explain this a little more. Let me go a little more in depth on this. So, um, Matthew and Mark actually use a, a different word than what Luke uses. And so Matthew and Mark 
the word is criminals, which in the Greek is kakorgoi. Sorry if I mispronounced that. I have no idea how to pronounce Greek words. What? You don't know Greek? I'm sorry. <laughs> but that actually means evildoers. And then in Luke, he used the word robbers, which is lestai in Greek and means thieves. And so, and actually in Matthew and Mark, those criminals appear after Jesus, the Roman soldiers do basically their gamble thing for Jesus' clothes. And in Luke, it happens before. So you've got a time discrepancy as well. And so this theory I read basically said what you've actually got is two criminals on the right side of Jesus and two on the left. And, and that basically... So, that would explain the time discrepancy, but then also um, explain the word differences there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that I follow with... I mean, I follow, but I don't know that I fully agree with that. I mean, I... You clearly did more research than I did, and it, it was, is just a theory. Yeah, it, it, I thought it was really intricate and really, um, some of it just challenged me to think about it a little more and really kind of wonder what what the possibilities were there. Like, did we have we always just misinterpreted this, or is that what happened, or do we know what happened in actuality? Well, the thing with it is, I guess, is just, we've just always kind of, you know, been taught and understood that Jesus was crucified with two criminals, you mm-hmm. know, and I guess this guy has done a little more research and was like, I don't know, I guess the thing that really messes with me on that is it's it's almost like they did the crucifixion and then I guess Pilate was just like, oh, wait a minute, guys, we forgot to, let's bring them out and crucify them too, you know, that's, that's the part that kind of like debunks it for me, it doesn't feel like, that doesn't feel like a real judicial system. Okay. So yeah. to me, that kind of feels like it would counter or contradict that idea, which, like you said, it's just a theory that this one guy had. Yeah, and, and it was just something that I thought was really interesting, really kind of made it would bring up discussion. And that kind of brings me to the other theory, which is more of a theory that I think both of us would lean towards. Yes. But um, also kind of goes more along with what you're taught in your basic church classes and stuff. And that is, this This guy basically says, you know, all four writers of the Gospels come from different points of view. Luke and Mark are non-eyewitnesses, and Matthew and John are eyewitnesses to this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke was a doctor who basically, he um, he researched this in, in a way that was kind of like a reporter would research an event. And he took all these facts and then put them together and see what at, saw what added up yeah. from people. And so... Matthew and Mark both say that these thieves mocked Jesus. Yes. But they don't mention that one thief repented. Right. So it's very possible that they just missed that somehow. Mark, a non-eyewitness, might not have got that story. Matthew, an eyewitness, might not have been close enough to see what they were actually saying. Yeah, and I mean, to me, when you think about like a non-eyewitness being there and he's listening, like the point that would obviously stick out to him is like, oh, well, this one, this one guy, he, he was like, Jesus, take me with you. Mm-hmm. Like 
the other one mocked, and this guy was just like, that would be the point that was sticking out to me if I didn't hear the whole story. Like, like if I was even retelling the story, I would say, yeah, there was one mocking him, and that other one like asked for forgiveness of his sins. Like that would be that would be what would be the main story, you know? Yeah, for that sure. would be the main key point. So, so, um, so I wrote down this question: Did Matthew and Mark miss something? And, and I think what this guy was basically saying, what the assumption is, is that. These these probably were both mocking Jesus. Yeah. Like, come on, King of the Jews, this, that, and the other. But when Jesus comes forth and he he is bleeding, I mean, we, we all know the story of the crucifixion. He, he's been whipped. He's been just beaten, bloodied, crown of thorns on his head, nails in his hands and his feet. And he's on this cross. And when this thief hears Jesus proclaim love, Father, forgive them, something stirs in him. I would say, yeah, I mean. And it's he realizes, oh, this is the real deal. Yeah. This is this is the son of God, the son of man. I'm messing up right now. I would say, yeah, that would definitely change some, that would change some idea or minds for sure. Yeah. Like you see that and you see this, like what's happened to him. Yeah. Like there's, I don't. I like to think that I am pretty forgiving, you know, and that I'm a pretty understanding guy and I I can see I can see other sides of things and so I try to just well, maybe they didn't understand this and they forgive. But to just be beat and spit and have your beard plucked from your face and Yeah, I mean how many times have you ever just let someone start punching on you and not got mad about it? Zero. Zero. Zero times. No retaliation whatsoever that was well, Jesus. I don't I can't retaliate. Look at me. Well, they can't see you. No, okay. But I'm small, guys. Now they know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to beat me up, you're probably. I'll just pray for you. That's Mill- about all that will happen. <laughs> Millennial prayer time. <laughs> 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 but uh, so basically, he says that this guy repents because he is just moved by this love that he sees, and I think that's that's actually really representative of today. Uh, if we would put forth that kind of love into our lives, you see the effect it has on people when you do do that. Like, um, so, something like Convoy of Hope, who was just in Springfield, and we saw a video of that at church, of just the, the lives that were being affected by that, and the smiles on their faces. And, and you can have somebody that comes to that that needs help that doesn't know Jesus, and when they have that experience where it's like, mocking people that know Jesus and then all of a sudden they get hit with a wave of this love from Jesus and it's just like wow yeah I want that yeah and you hear that so many times kind of cliche that I want that but that's uh-huh. literally what it's like yeah that's that's exactly well that's what we're trying to portray across yeah no. it's to be like hey see what we have we have something that there's nothing on earth that will give you this mm-hmm. so so that's just a little bit of background, a little discussion of the um, thief on the cross, but I guess we could kind of go into what he represents to us, but let's read the scripture. Um, let me open up my old-fashioned Bible here. I've got it. On your new-fashioned Bible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anybody who's wondering, I'm reading out of the uh, Christian I think it's Christian Standard Bible. Yeah, I couldn't remember. It's the CSB Bible. The it MacBook used to, Pro. Oh my gosh. It used to be the HCSB, 
but it is the CSB version now. <clears throat> and anyway, it's Luke 23, 32 through 43. And it says, Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One of the, or excuse me, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, it's kind of an eerie scene. And by no means am I trying to brag or boast when I say this, but, you know, the two of the last three years, I've I've done a play back at my grandparents' church where I played Jesus, in a, and we did the crucifixion scene. And it's, it's just always humbling to get to play that and humbling to get to, you know... It's hard. I can't say, like, put myself in Jesus' shoes because it's not even close to the same. It's all an act. But just to kind of, like, feel and see and sense the whole scene and the power of the moments from each character's perspective. I don't know if anybody in the crowd got anything from it, but it always, like, left me just a little bit... I mean, if we're being honest, it left me feeling undeserving, you know? And I didn't even feel... Any of the pain, oh well, one time I dropped the cross and it bounced up and hit me in the eye and gave me a black eye. So there was pain there. But it's not... You worked for it. It's not the same. Like I, And then this year when we did it, I like tore all the ligaments in my ankle. So I was having to do all the practices and carrying the cross and stuff with a bum ankle. And so still not the same pain. But I mean, oh uh, well... One guy, he did hit one of the guards, actually. He was supposed to be pretending to hit me with a whip, but he actually did hit me with the whip one time. <laughs> so, still, not the same. Everybody could recognize me. You could have been struck by lightning. That, that happened to a guy once. Yeah, okay, that didn't happen to me, so. so you, you got the good side of it. Yeah, I got, I got the better parts, if there are any. <laughs> but, anyway, just, just being in those scenes and in those moments... It's, like I said, it's super humbling and just to even get the point zero 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 one percent taste of what he went through, even if it even if it was all fake, just to feel it and be there and to just kind of put yourself in that perspective. It it's it really is eerie and bone chilling. And I when I would when I would have those scenes there was just the moments right before it would happen, I just like a heaviness almost fall over you, and you're just like this. You know, this was real. This I mean, isn't something we're just making up. That's a 
heavy part of scripture, that whole scene, the crucifixion and everything they do to Jesus. I mean, you, you can't read that without something in your stomach kind of turning. Yeah. You know, just to read what Jesus went through for you. When, when you know, when you know it was for you, it, it just, something turns. Because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want anybody going through that for me. No. And to know that Jesus did that willingly without a complaint, I mean, there's something powerful to that. Something I think I think sometimes what happens is, and I'm I'm guilty of it too sometimes. But I think sometimes we 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 take all of this as Christians and non-believers, obviously, but as Christians, we we take this this whole scene for granted, like just what happened there. I think we take it for granted. And I think that that is exactly what the thief on the cross is a good example of. He's not taking this for granted. And it's because his life is on the line and he's about to die. And he has that, that guilt and that humility in the moment that, oh my gosh, this is the Savior. Look how he is acting in response to everything going on around. He could be like his buddy. I assume you know that they were close. They're being crucified together. I assume they committed their crimes together. Mm-hmm. And so we see this, and he is just completely, one of them is bashing Jesus and shouting insults because he's angry at his death, I'm sure, and so he's lashing out, save us, you can't save us, Do like mocking him even in his death. And then we see this thief on the cross who understands this is possibly his last moment. And not just that, it's, he understands in the presence of who he who he is, that didn't make any sense. He understands whose presence he is in, and he sees Jesus in this moment, and he says, "He loves me, and I deserve everything happening to me right now, mm-hmm. and he deserves none of it." Yeah, he he definitely he comes before God, Jesus, humble and broken, and that's actually what I have written right there. On my paper here, it says that that thief specifically represents humility. Then you go over to the other thief, and he represents pride. Mm -hmm. And he's so prideful, so boastful, that even in his own weakness, even in his own uh, struggle, in his own fault, where he is about to be crucified in an actual crime, he cannot admit that he is wrong. He can only mock the Son of God. Yeah, and how many times do we see people like that, or whether it be people we know or people like in the spotlight where, you know, even when it's their fault and all like everything could be solved by just an ounce of humility, it just goes straight to the blame game. It feels like it's just rampant today mm-hmm. and just blame, like blame this, blame this. Whatever happened is not my fault. Yeah. We're, we're in a very um, much a point to your finger culture mm-hmm. where it's, Let's not look at what's wrong with me. Let's look at what's wrong with everybody else. We, yeah. we avoid the mirror, you yep. know. It's it's so hard. Avoid the mirror is a perfect I mean, we're supposed to be the mirror image of Jesus. So it's perfect that you yeah. say that. We're supposed to be the mirror yeah. image of Jesus. So for us to do that, we are avoiding looking at Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus was the perfect example of humility. That's really good. That's good. And just he he showed humility in everything he did. Like you look at his whole walk down here, he had more right, absolutely more right than anyone to claim that he was king, to claim any of that. And I think a perfect example of that could even be 
whenever he's in the courts and Pilate says, they say that you're the king of the Jews, who are you? And then he doesn't even say, yeah, that's who, like, he just says, I am who they say that I am, or how you say I am. I don't remember the verse. Is that right? He says, so Pilate asked him, are you, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. You have said it. He doesn't even say, I am the king of the Jews. He says, you have said it. And so, I, I don't know, to me it feels like a humility point, like he's not being boastful. I could be wrong on that. That's just... It's, it's really cool to me because the whole time in Scripture, Jesus is telling people, don't say anything about what I've just done for you. Yeah, that and is he's, true. he's like so much like, let's not boast about this. But yet they do it anyways. Yeah. They tell everybody. And it's like Jesus is so much like, let's just, I did this for you. There's no need to be boasting about it and and it's so cool yeah the humility of jesus was absolutely incredible and again as we said before we see that with the thief on the cross and his humility at the last moments you know right before his death he asks Mm -hmm. jesus to remember him and that is that is just awesome to me and that's the one thing we can all ask is that you know in our walk with christ jesus just remember me For sure, for sure. Well, guys, that's all we've got for this week with your annual weekly Mana podcast. Make sure it's annual. Annual. Mana, not mana. Yeah, be sure to spell it correctly. Two N's, not one. That's a wrap. Share it with your friends. Share it with your granny. (laughs) Kirk out. With your granny? Hey, my granny listens to it, I guess. Sometimes. She might not like it if I call her granny. She probably wants to go by grandma. Yeah, well, you know. It's her own. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys. Bye.